When is the last time that you were disappointed that something didn't play out the way that you hoped? Maybe it was an event that you were responsible for coordinating, something that you were overseeing, whether it was a a small or a big thing, a family thing or, or something much bigger than that that required planning and purchasing. And when it finally happened, it kind of felt like it fell flat. Maybe it wasn't something that you had any parts in coordinating or were involved in, but it was an event or an experience that you were looking forward to participating in or attending. And and when you finally experienced it, it missed the mark. It left you kind of hoping for, for more. Now, those are, are pretty common enough experiences. And then, then there is a, another sense of disappointment uh, or hopelessness, rather, that, that sinks much deeper. How do you know when you are experiencing that sense of hopelessness? Well, actually, this, very, this week, a devotion that I came across pointed to an indicator of, of how to, to kind of know when you are feeling hopeless. It's when you start to use the word never to describe what it is that is weighing on you. When you start to explain or feel as if you are never going to change if you've been working on something, if you are never going to get out of doubt, debt, if you are never going to get married, or if your marriage is never going to get better, if you're never going to get healthy if you're sick, if you're never is a pretty strong indicator that you are at the end of the road, that that you feel as if you've arrived at a dead end and you just can't see how things can possibly get any better. You've lost hope. No matter what what season of life or, or what it is that got you or gets you there, feeling that sense of hopelessness, and we'll look at, at two particular reasons or ways that we arrive at that sense of hopelessness this morning, but we don't want to stay there. Rather, we want to, to ask, where do we go from there? What do we do when we feel hopeless? How is that hope restored? We find Jesus this morning in our gospel accompanying two individuals, two disciples on their way to a small village outside of Jerusalem called Emmaus. We know the name of one. We don't know a whole lot of the details. We do know that Jesus kept it hidden from revealing to them who he was, was, what his identity was. But we also know that Jesus was able to tell that they were experiencing a sense of hopelessness, that they were disappointed. That becomes clear as we focus on the exchange that Jesus had with them as this visitor comes upon them and asks them to explain. Even in the way that Luke describes their body language, it was evident that they were feeling hopeless. He tells us at the end of verse 17, they stood still as they're about to explain their faces downcast. They were visibly without hope. And Jesus could tell. And then as they began to explain the situation, the things that unfolded these last couple of days, it becomes pretty clear not only to Jesus, who knows all things certainly, but to us who read this account exactly why they were feeling hopeless. They went on to explain to Jesus 
This Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. We know that they were feeling a sense of hopelessness, and it becomes clear why. They had pretty high expectations of Jesus, who had marched triumphantly into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that he was, in fact, going to be the one who was going to redeem them. But as they shared with Jesus, their hopes were dashed because Jesus was dead. He had been crucified. And so the very one that they thought was going to be the source of their redemption now was the cause of their hopelessness. After all, how could a dead Jesus redeem Israel? And of course, you know the the irony of their confusion, don't you? In their minds, a dead Jesus couldn't redeem them when in fact, Scripture, the prophets, God's Word had made clear that that was exactly the means by which God was going to redeem not only Israel, but all of His people. So here they were confused and hopeless by Jesus' death when it's Jesus' death that should have filled them with hope that their redemption had actually come. That that's why Jesus had come into Jerusalem and that was exactly what he did by his death. Now we have the benefit of all of Scripture as they didn't at that time to spell this out for us. And it's very clear as we look through many different passages in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians spelling out that that was how Jesus was going to redeem his people. In chapter 3, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Paul is referring to Jesus' crucifixion. He redeemed us by his death on the cross. That wasn't the source of hopelessness, but should have been the source of hope. And Peter writes in his first epistle as well, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It was by his death that price of Jesus' blood was actually the cost of our redemption. Yet that wasn't sinking in for them. Instead of being encouraged by his death as the price paid to redeem them from sin and hell, they were hopeless as a result of Jesus' death. When we look at the two disciples and their encounter with Jesus this morning, their mindset, the way that they were thinking at that time, reveals really two reasons that we too find ourselves in a situation that seems hopeless. And the first is that they had the wrong expectations on their end. Their idea of what God meant when he talked about redeeming his people did not line up. They had the idea, and we can understand, as you know, Jewish history and culture, their picture, their thought of redemption was really tied to an event that was highlighted and repeated and celebrated amongst Jewish people throughout history, God's deliverance or redemption of his people from Egypt. 
So it was a temporal, it was a worldly redemption that they expected. Just as God had, had allowed his people to, be, to escape out of slavery in Egypt and redeem them in that way, so now this Jesus was going to be the modern-day redeemer and deliver them, redeem them from Roman oppression. Coming into his own in Jerusalem to set up his capital and rule over all things. But that wasn't the right idea. They had the wrong expectation on their end. And I think that we can relate to the disciples in that way. If we have a faulty or a wrong expectation on our end, we really shouldn't be that surprised that we find ourselves hopeless. So if my expectation in my relationship with God is such that I believe God's number one goal is my happiness, then that wrong expectation is going to find you hopeless again and again throughout your life. Because when you go through some experience, when something happens to you in life, and you say, well, this doesn't make me very happy. This doesn't fill me with feelings of happiness. God, I thought that was your, your number one priority for me, was making me happy. You have a wrong expectation on your end. God is not so concerned about your happiness as he is your holiness, which is proven by the fact that he secured your holiness by sending Jesus into the world to be holy for you. And if you have this idea that, that coming into a, a relationship with Jesus, faith in Jesus means that I have somehow received dispensation from any suffering or trial or hardship, that if I'm a follower of Jesus, then that means life is going to get easier, then you have a wrong expectation on your end. And I, I don't know if I should point that out before uh, three new members join our church family, but I hope that's not your expectation that being a part of this church or a believer in Jesus means that you are going to get a pass on hardship and trial. Quite the opposite. So the disciples were, were disappointed, were without hope because of wrong expectations on their end. There's another problem that, that they illustrate for us that will find us hopeless as well. Not just a wrong expectation on our end, but we also tend to give up when we have too low an expectation on God's end. That was illustrated by the disciples as well. There were two things that they highlighted. As you heard Luke recount for them their description to Jesus of what had happened in these past days, the two things that they highlight, it had been three days since Jesus had died, and then they had pointed out that a number of the women and their fellow disciples, their fellow believers, had all attested to already to the point that, yes, in fact, the tomb was empty. There was no body. Now, for you and me, those two details sound like proof, like evidence of the resurrection. We have the blessing of hindsight, being able to look back. But in fact, when they were expressing these thoughts to Jesus, they weren't giving the impression that they were on the fringe, that they were almost ready to grasp the resurrection. These things were expressed because these were the reasons for their hopelessness. So when they said it had been three days, it wasn't like, hey, this is the day Jesus promised. Rather, what they were saying was, it's been three days and God has not done anything. And with each passing day, they were increasingly becoming more hopeless. And again, you might think that the empty tomb would encourage them, 
would feed their faith, but their faith was incomplete at this point. They weren't aware. They weren't recalling what Jesus had promised. So what they were expressing to Jesus in that fact was that others had validated the empty tomb was that now there's just more chaos and confusion. They didn't jump to the conclusion that the empty tomb meant the resurrection at this point because, remember, as far as they knew, nobody had seen Jesus yet. The only thing anybody had seen was an empty tomb. So they were ready to give up in hopelessness because they had too low an expectation of God. Surely a a dead Jesus could not be the Redeemer that they were expecting. And this too is relatable for us, isn't it? Too low an expectation of God is going to find us hopeless. Your financial advisor is wise when he reminds you that the past performance of your, your investments is, any, is no guarantee of future results. But we don't need to apply that when it comes to God's promises to us, but too often we do. And because we have too low a view of God's expectations, we don't maximize the, the benefits of God at our disposal to, to bring our requests before him. So it goes like this. In the past, when a loved one was struggling with some disease and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed to God for healing and he didn't choose to answer my prayer in that way, now the next time that a dear friend or loved one is going through sickness, why would I bother praying? Because the last time I did, God didn't answer my prayer in that way. So I'm not going to waste my time or his in this instant. That's too low a view of God's expectations, right? We look at Scripture and we have again and again one account after another of God's divine intervention throughout history. How God inserted himself into history time and again and did amazing, phenomenal things. And here we are in 2023 and we see, well, that's not really the God I know. I don't see him active and alive that way. So why would I expect him to do the amazing things that are recorded for us in Scripture? And so we give up because we are really having too low an expectation of God. Oh, we know he could do these things, but we don't have the faith that takes the next step to expect that he will do these things. So like those two disciples, we find ourselves hopeless. So where do we go when we're in that place? Where do we turn when we are are hopeless? A better question is, is, what does God have to say about it? What does God want us to do about that hopelessness. And the confidence that we walk away this morning and every day because of the resurrection is that God is going to do for us exactly what he did for the disciples. He is going to come alongside us just as he did those two disciples right in the midst of our hopelessness and he will restore our hope just as he did to them. God is not going to turn to you or me and he's not going to say, well, I need from you just a a little bit of optimism. I need from you just a little glimmer of hope and that I can work with. That I will meet halfway. No, he comes right in the midst of our despair and hopelessness and says, I alone will restore your hope. And that is what I love about this account of the Emmaus disciples is how we pay attention to how Jesus chose to do that. In, in all of the amazing miracle that, that this was, 
jump to the end of the account and, and be reminded, as it was our, our gospel acclamation as well, what the final result and impact of this was on the disciples. They said in verse 32, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? What was it that caused their hearts to burn within them but that Jesus opened the scriptures to them. And here's why that's so remarkable, because they had already expressed to Jesus their distraughts, their hopelessness, because nobody had seen Jesus. And then finally, in his own perfect timing, God revealed himself to them. Jesus made it clear to them who he was. He appeared to them, opened their eyes to see it. And yet, that wasn't even their greatest takeaway. Yes, surely they were amazed that the risen Jesus was in their midst and fellowshipping and even enjoying a meal with them. But what they said made their hearts burn within them was that he opened the scriptures to them. How amazing is that? The risen Jesus was walking with them, eating with them, talking with them. And yes, that's all well and good. But what they delighted in was how he gave them a deeper understanding of the scriptures and filled them with. So you know where this is going. We have not only the scriptures that those two disciples had, we have all of the scriptures, Old and New Testament. Do you think that God has some different solution for you when you are hopeless other than to turn to his word? The same passion and zeal and fire that was burning within the disciples when is the last time that you have experienced that? When is the last time that you could say like those disciples, my heart was burning within me as I had a deeper understanding of the scriptures and was therefore filled with hope? Do you suspect God is going to, to interact with you differently than he did those disciples? This is how Jesus comes to us through word and sacrament. This is how he fills us up with his word of hope. Do you think that didn't make a difference in the lives of those two disciples? Luke told us exactly the difference that it made. What did they do after Jesus revealed himself? They got up at once, right away, immediately. Remember how, why this stands out so much? Because Jesus feigned that he was going to continue on and they said what? Don't keep walking. Stick with us. It's late in the day. It's too late. We don't want you traveling. Hang around with us tonight. But once they realized it was Jesus and, and it, the dots had been connected and they were filled with passion from the scripture, they didn't say to themselves, let's just call it a night and in the morning we'll go tell everybody what had happened. They got up right away and headed back to Jerusalem they couldn't wait to tell all the disciples how they were filled with hope through this Jesus who had explained the scriptures to them. God is going to act no differently with you and me. But that assumes, as I said in the, the children's message, that we, we read our Bible. This is how God fills us up with hope. It's not enough just to know where my Bible is or to remember a passage that I learned at one time. But the more that, that we find ourselves hopeless and the more we turn to God's Word, the more we will be filled with hope. Why? Because 
even though he has every right to respond to you and me as he did to those disciples when he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken, that is not what he calls us. He doesn't address us at fools in, as fools in his word. He instead addresses us as his sons and his daughters, as his beloved, forgiven children, as heirs of eternal life, as saints, as those who are forgiven, as those who are chosen, those who are precious to him. The list goes on and on as we open up his word. And he fills us with hope. Dear friends, hope is restored through Jesus. The world may may rip hope away from us, but the Word will restore that hope. The resurrected Jesus will restore that hope. Your hope is never dead because Jesus is not dead. The same Peter that we referred to earlier said, uh, wrote earlier in his, that same epistle right near the beginning, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Yes, we have the hope of heaven, but also because that is a living hope, hope for today and tomorrow and any time we find ourselves feeling hopeless. Dear friends, as those whose faith rests in Jesus Christ, your hope is and always will be alive and well because Jesus lives. Amen.